This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. And hello to those that will watch this online, those that will watch this later, hello to you as well. Uh, Let us pray before we get started. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, church, we are coming to the end of a sermon series. I know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Boo. Well, we are so thankful uh, for this service series that we've had so far and what God has shown us. And today we're wrapping it up. We've been looking at uh, the call. What's the sermon series has been called? What the magic inside? And what we've been doing is uh, looking at some children's books and probably ones most of you don't even know about, but they're some of my favorite that I read to my kids and share with my kids. And uh, today you may know this one though. This one's a little bit more popular. But we've been taking that, looking at the story, and then of course jumping off and using it as a springboard to jump off into something in scripture and something very important for us to remember and keep hold of that really is kind of be explained in some way by that children's book and today we're coming to the last one and so uh, I I debated on bringing out some of my other children's books that I I knew knew and love or know and love but I decided uh, it was time to wrap up so we have today we're gonna be looking at the ever classic ever awesome one of the best books ever written pajama time right now, I said, I'm kind of curious though, how many of you know this book? Because, okay, a couple, couple, couple in here, all right. So it, it, it's not that long or old of a book, but it is uh, been around for a little bit now and it's fairly popular, but uh, you can imagine what's gonna happen in this book, but you can't just tell the story. You gotta kind of get lyrical with it, right? When you tell it, right? So when you're with the kids, and this is funny, because this is a a book that not only do we read to our kids, but uh, when grandpa comes into town, grandpa gets to read this to the kids, and of course they love it and eat it all up. And so this is a special book to our family in many different ways. But it goes something like this. You open up the book and it says, the moon is up, it's getting late. Let's get ready to celebrate. It's pajama time, right? You can see where this is going, right? You can see how this kind of happens. 
And so it goes, some are old and some are new. Some are red and some are blue. Some are fuzzy, some are not. But we can all pajama in whatever we you can't. You can't dance a little bit when you sing it, right? We can all pajama in whatever we got. It's pajama time, right? Some are pink, some are green. Some are the ugliest we've ever seen. They might be stripey or polka dot, but you can get ready to pajama de bop. Jamma to the left, jamma to the right. Jamma, 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 PJ, right? Everyone's coming on for dinner to dance it tonight. All around the room in one big line, wearing our pajamas and looking so fine. It's pajama time. Ooh, yes, it's pajama time. And then, of course, is the end part, right? We'll hop into bed and turn out the light. You can all, you can have a party in your dreams tonight. It's pajama time. Hush, hush. It's pajama time. Hush, hush. Good night. Sleep tight. And you just hope your kids are, right? Never happens that way, but we always have that hope, right? Because it's pajama time. And what I love about that book is, first of all, it's funny because as you can see, there's little critters in all in it and you know, there's elephants and deer and all sorts of funny stuff as they're all getting in their jammies and it's fun to see. But you also got the musical rhyme, of course, to it. And you got the kind of dancing kind of quality. And of course, every time you say it's pajama time, the kids go, it's pajama time, right? And they have a great time. And then of course, what I love about the book is it has a means to an end, right? The book is not just a book. The book is to get your kids to go to sleep. In other words, there's a purpose behind it. It's, it's you don't read it when you wake up in the morning, right? You read it right before bedtime. And it has that end goal, right? Of you're winding down the day, you're coming to the close. The day has gone on, the day is now ended, and it's time to go to sleep. And it's setting up for what that end goal is. What is the purpose of the book? What is the, the end means of the book? The reason for the story, and the reason for the story is the thing that happens for all little kids, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, at the end of the day, sleep time is coming, right? And at the end of the day, there's a preparation for that. At the end of the day, there's a series to get there of events. And one of those is the classic reading of Pajama Time. Well, of course, in Christianity, it's worth pausing every now and then to think about what's the end result? What's, what's this all heading towards? What's the purpose, if you will, of the story? What's, what's the end thing that, you know, all of our lives are coming towards and me, leaning towards and moving towards? In other words, as Christians look at time, it's very different than how many people in the ancient world looked at time. And it's kind of interesting. It's making a comeback nowadays too with kind of just different theories and things of how time is the nature of time and what i mean by that is this question is time circular or linear <laughs> yes <laughs> and in the ancient world most religions thought that it was circular that there's no particular end that anything is heading towards there's no particular beginning end, all those type of things it's just kind of History just keeps repeating itself over and over in some big, not just the way you and I experience history repeating itself, but in cosmological scale, it just kind of keeps on going, right? It just keeps going and there's no end goal, there's no end purpose, there's no, it just, it's just happening. And Christianity is a little unique and of course Judaism and Islam as well, where there's a purpose. There's an end. That time is linear in the sense that it has a beginning and it has an end. And that there's a goal, if you will, that everything is heading toward. There's an end purpose, if you will, that everything's heading towards. 
there's a reason for the whole entire story of your life, my life, everyone who ever has existed on earth, their life, and it's all coming to a grand end at the end of time. And the end of time, of course, is described so greatly in the book of Revelation, but specifically my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, Revelations chapter 21. And technically it blends into 22 a little bit, so I cheat a little bit because it goes on to 22 a little bit too. But Revelations chapter 21 is shorthand for my favorite book, our favorite chapter in the whole Bible. When my mom, I, I mentioned before to you, and for those that don't know, my mom passed away in 2009. But I distinctly remember us sitting on the back porch and, you know, her days were numbered at this time. She had already been given, you know, the diagnosis. You only have a couple weeks kind of thing. And we're sitting on the back porch and just kind of staring off, looking at the birds and all that stuff. And I remember her asking me, you know, Jonathan, what, what is heaven like? And, uh, you know, my, it's funny, my mom asked me that question because she'd been through disciple class. She had, you know, read her Bible. She knew all about the Bible stuff. She knew, she knew everything the Bible says about it pretty much. But I remember just looking at her and saying, well, I don't know exactly, but I think it's pretty good, right? I think it's really good. And of course, what Revelations chapter 21 is, it just gives us a taste of what this whole end thing where our lives are heading. What is the end result? What is the end place that we all end up at and, and belong to? Especially, what is Christ up to in our life? Revelations chapter 1 is this great chapter, of course, and uh, it's, it's a book in Revelation. We're going to take it a little bit out of context in the sense that we're looking at charter, chapter 21 without looking at the rest of the book today. But in chapter 21, it's the end. It's the end purpose. And what it says in that book is that the new Jerusalem, Pumps. And the old heavens and the earth, in other words, everything you know is wiped clean and is gone. And there's a new earth, a new heaven, and a city like a new Jerusalem comes and exists. And it's adorned like a beautiful bride. You can see just kind of this imagery of how great it is and how wonderful it is. But then it goes on to say these amazing things. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And if you keep reading on, it talks about how there's no sun or moon is needed because God is there and he's shining so brightly and with us that the ever-present God of the universe is with you and I. Face to face, in person, right then and there. Now, if that wasn't amazing enough, it goes on to say these things about the heart of God. Not only is he going to dwell with us, not only is he going to be, we will be his people and he will be our God, but he says these things about the Lord. It says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. As a father of twins, it's amazing how many times the twins get, you know, hurt or beat each other up or do something and there's the tears, you know, crying down, coming down. And, you know, I'm at the, at the point now where I'm getting into that dad, like hard dad mode where I'm like, get over a kid, right, to some degree. But there are those times where you know your kid is really hurt, right, where they've actually really harmed themselves or gotten hurt or really something bad happened. And they're just tears flowing out. And, you know, that's when you pick up the kid, right, and you're, you're holding him as tight as you can and let him know it's going to be okay. And of course, the image of that hand, right, just coming over, wiping the tears off of that loved one making sure they're going to be okay, that, that the image of God that shares with us, he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. 
And then hear these words, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now again, it doesn't give us all the details of what heaven's like, but that's a pretty good description. I mean, if I was to tell you today, hey, you could move away from the country you live in and go live in a place where there's no death, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no mourning. Oh, and by the way, the person wants to give you a free plane ticket to get there. You would be, sign me up, let's go, right? And they have a mansion waiting for you that everybody's going to hang out and have a great time in. Like, you would be there in a heartbeat. And that's the image of what the purpose of all this is, of God being with us, dwelling with us, being our God, wiping away those tears, making a new order. As we see in the rest of Revelation chapter 22, it comes the new order of the things of how it was meant to be. Revelation chapter 22, the, the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden shows up again. And it's planted on both sides of the river, bringing life and bearing fruit and season it's an image of life, abundance, of water in a beautiful way, of trees bearing fruit, of life and death being gone. And the rest of Tony, chapter 21, for our purposes here today, says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these are trustworthy and true. He says, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To whoever is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring and water of life. Whoever, come, whoever overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I love that image. Where in heaven, God says, you're my child. Right? Wiping it off. I mean, just that imagery of, of when you were a parent, if you've ever been blessed to be a parent, of you taking care of your kids is the exact imagery that is used of heaven and the God whom we serve and love. He is our God, and we are his children. And then he goes on, though, to give the warning. And whenever I preach this a lot of times, I feel tempted to often leave this part out. But as it is part of the gospel, I want to share it with you. But it says these words, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, if we take this just right here, it'd be easy to take it out of context and make this a do good sermon, right? That you need to be a good person sermon. But the rest of the revelation up to this point has made it very clear that all of us fall into that second category. That all of us were in need of redemption. And so when it says these words, it doesn't just mean the fact that there are people that do these things and don't do them. It's also calling us to remember the rest of the book where God wipes clean those who say yes to him. That when he offers that drink, they say yes and they come. And the, the scriptures describe them as the ones that sing out, you know, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. They're the ones that have been washed clean by the power of God and given new clothes and new names, a new writing on their face and heads to give them new thought. But all that is done through the work of Christ, not our own efforts, if you will. And so, of course, we want to take that warning here today as well, that there is this idea that in death, there's kind of heaven, and there's the burning lake of sulfur. And glory to God, because he offers it freely, redemption for all those who would come. As we celebrate communion in just a few minutes, 
one of the ideas of communion, it's, it's one of those symbols and acts of the church that have so many deep meanings to it. We, of course, remember the night in which Christ gave himself up for us, and that night in which he was betrayed, in which when he took that bread and literally broke it, gave it to his disciples, and we remember that night and remember the story of Christ who loved us. It means communion with God and with each other, that we're the fellowship of believers, that we are the children of God, redeemed by the power of the cross, the resurrection, and it means that absolutely. It means the fact that we are united not only with those that partake here today, but Christians around the world through time and space that take it as well. But it also means the symbol for the great banquet that's coming. In other words, when you read the scriptures and how Jesus sometimes talks about heaven himself, not just in Revelation 21, but other parts of scripture, he describes it like the great banquet. The great banquet where people are gathered and sit at the table and eat a great feast with one another. You know those type of banquets where you laugh so hard your belly hurts kind of banquet. Where you look around and you think, this was a great time and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world kind of banquet. And that banquet where you look around and you see loved ones, and people you care for so much, and that care for you so much, and your heart overflows with joy, that kind of a banquet. And as we eat today, one of the things we can remember is what's coming. What's the purpose that God has for all this work of this redeeming part of Jesus Christ? It's not only here for earth, not only to experience it here and now, but for eternity. And the work that Christ offers for each of us that we gladly accept with open arms. He makes that work instill in us and brings us to that place where heaven will be with us and we will be there. We'll be together in holy communion with each other, sharing bread, remembering the work of Christ, and once again, being made new. It's the image and the purpose. Or in the words of our book today, it's pajama time. Let us pray. Lord, as we thank you so much for being able to come here today to worship you, to remember where this whole story is headed. And that, God, you have worked in so many marvelous ways throughout history. But especially here today, where so many times we get inundated with the cares of life, where we wonder what tomorrow will hold, or even this afternoon, where we have so many cares about things that we want to attain to, or things that we desire, or maybe hurts in our life. God, we take this moment to pause, to look beyond the veil that once death happens, there's a new history that comes through that. That heaven is for eternity. And that Jesus, you offer it freely to anyone who would come and receive you. Lord, we're humbled by that gracious act today, that you, wanted to, you loved us so much that you came to this earth that you died and you rose again, and that even today you hold the keys of death and Hades, and instead you offer life and offer your home and for us to come and live with you. And so God, as we come to communion here this day, we keep our eyes on that end goal. We set our hearts on that end goal. God, first of all, we come here today and we recognize that we need your healing touch and that, God, each of us need forgiveness, but we have failed you in many ways. And so, God, in these moments, we name those ways in our hearts and minds to you as we silently pray to you and ask for forgiveness.
Church, hear the good news, because it's died for you. In Jesus' name, you are forgiven. As we celebrate Holy Communion, Lord, we come to this table, not of our own accord, but because of your grace. God, we remember that when you came to this earth, you came in flesh and blood, that you lived amongst us, that you taught us the rules of the kingdom, that you were baptized, and the Holy Spirit gave, gave word that day that you were the Son of God. As we hear today, we do remember that on that night in which you were betrayed, you took bread, you broke the bread, you gave it to your disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, you took the cup, you gave thanks to the Lord, gave it to your disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of my new covenant, put out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, in these your mighty acts, and many more that we've claimed here today, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, in union with Christ's offering for us. May you bless these elements, Lord, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ, and that by taking them we may be regenerated and be for you the body of Christ, redeemed and given to this world. God, as we remember these things, we give glory to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours now and forever. Amen.